This is Critical Thinking Part 12, UFOs, UAPs, and Roswell Through the Wormhole. In this episode, we're going to talk about what everybody means whenever they say Roswell. There were two crashes in Roswell, New Mexico in the late 40s. Farmers said flying saucers crashed onto their land and they called Roswell Army Airfield that was the local army base in Roswell. And in response, Roswell Army Airfield sent out a bunch of heavy equipment, a wrecker, a dump truck, a bunch of jeeps, they all came out to cart the wreckage away. Eyewitnesses say that they saw the military remove alien bodies from the crash, gray, four-fingered aliens, and there was an investigation in 1997 that they used to close out the case on Roswell. And in the investigation, they admitted that the previous investigations that they'd made public, one in 1994, they were lies and wrong in lots of places because they pretty much tried to cover everything up, just like they did in 1947 when they spread out a bunch of tinfoil and said, hey, look, it's a weather balloon. So basically, there were a couple crashes in 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico, and the government has been lying about them ever since. And if you didn't know before, New Mexico is actually one of the 50 states in the United States of America. It was the 47th state and it was created in 1912. It's a state on the southern border and it's wedged in between Texas on the right and Arizona on the left. And if you go down to the bottom left-hand corner of New Mexico, you'll drive past a town called Las Cruces. And if you keep going, you'll cross the Rio Grande and you'll be a Mexican, so to speak. The first Mexican border town you'll come to is Juarez, spelled with a J. Don't drink the tap water. It tastes the same going in, but it'll feel much different on the way out and if anyone suggests hey let's go see the donkey show you might want to tell them hard pass thanks because some things you just can't unsee and in 1947 roswell army airfield issued a press release the day after the crash and it said that it had recovered a crashed flying saucer the next day the statement was retracted and clarified that it was merely a crashed weather balloon that was in 1947 in 1948 the microchip was patented in 1948 the ssec selective sequence electronic calculator was created that was used to produce moon position tables to plan the 1969 apollo 12 moon landing. But guess what also happened in 1947, the same year that the flying saucer was discovered in Roswell. Ernst Suckelberg independently published quantum field theory. And everybody in the Sonic tribe knows that quantum field theory is exactly the kind of physics we need to fly our Tic Tacs. Which is kind of a coincidence, isn't it? But the Army Inspector General's office did a report of the Roswell incident in 1994. And in 1994 there was a statement from Robert Porter, a flight engineer stationed at Roswell Army Airfield who helped load the materials from the crash site. He was told by Major Jesse Marshall and Captain William E. Anderson, they told him that he was loading up material from a flying saucer crash. And he said he was looking at that material and it didn't look anything like he'd ever seen before and he believed them. And he was loading all that UFO material into a B-25 aircraft and he said that B-25 aircraft was leaving Roswell Army Airfield and being flown to Wright Army Airfield in Dayton, Ohio. But then when he came back from lunch that day, he was told by other people that the material he had just transferred into the B-25 to be flown away was a, actually a weather balloon. But he was certain it was not a weather balloon. And in the 1997 closeout report, the government abandoned the weather balloon story from 1947 to 1994, in part because no weather balloon was ever reported lost, and no safety data was ever logged, and no parallel balloons of that nature were reported to have ever been manufactured. And so the 
government pivoted to a different narrative about a top secret project that was being conducted in a different part of New Mexico, Project Mogul. Project Mogul was a clandestine floating balloon effort to detect nuclear radiation and explosions that might signify that the Russians were working on nuclear weapons too. And right when I read that, I knew that absolutely made no sense whatsoever. And it doesn't, in my mind, refute Porter's account that the material he loaded into a plane wasn't a crashed UFO, because Project Mogul was an effort that had been operating out of Alamogordo, New Mexico, and the components of the wreckage loaded by Porter were delivered via a B-25 aircraft to Ohio, not back to Alamogordo. So I absolutely knew right away that it had nothing to do with Project Mogul, and so I knew that the 1994 report was a lie too. And so then the subsequent report in 1997 that purportedly closed the case, so to speak, on Roswell's two crashes, on page 15 theorized that an investigation we need to show all of the following things. An activity that, if viewed from a distance, would appear unusual. An activity of which the exact date is not known. An activity that took place in two rural areas of New Mexico. An activity that involved a type of aerial vehicle with dolls or dummies that had four fingers, which were bald and wore gray suits. And an activity that required numerous military personnel and assortment of vehicles, including a wrecker, a six-ton dump truck, and a weapons carrier. So essentially this time the Air Force, instead of telling people that they didn't see what they know they saw, they're taking a look at all the things that people said they saw and they're trying to explain it away by trying to give people the idea that what they saw wasn't really what they thought they saw. And the Air Force tried to say that test vehicles crashed and were recovered in those two incidents that were alleged to be alien craft, but they weren't. And where eyewitnesses thought that they saw alien bodies recovered, gray aliens with four fingers, from those crash they were actually attributed by the Air Force to crash test dummies wearing gray suits where a finger broke off on each one on impact. So the Air Force went on record and said that those were crash test dummies, five-fingered crash test dummies, and each one of them lost a finger on their hand so and they were all wearing gray suits so they were gray crash test dummies with four fingers thinking that that explained everything but even if that's true the anthropomorphic crash test dummies weren't invented until two years after the crash in 1947 crash test dummies like that were invented by sam alderson in 1949 so how is it possible to pull crash test dummies invented in 1949 out of a crash that happens in 1947 two years before and oh by by the way, Sam Alderson was one of the physicists that worked on the Manhattan Project, and he was in the inner circle of government scientists and was on the government payroll at the time in 1947 and would have had access to whatever there was in Roswell too. Now let's put a pin in that and come back to it in just a couple minutes. So in the 1997 Roswell report closeout, they finally admitted gray bodies with four fingers on each hand were pulled out of the wreckage, which they denied in 1947 and they denied in 1994. And by the way, if you're the government in 1947 or you're the government in 1994, it's impossible to get it wrong whether or not you pulled crash test dummies out of a wreckage. And that is a fact. So from our basic critical thinking analysis, it's either aliens or it's crash test dummies, right? That's just critical thinking 101. I actually think it could be crash test dummies even though they pulled them out of the wreck in 1947 and that crash test dummies weren't actually invented with my finger quotes in the air. They weren't actually invented till 19. 49. Now, I could be wrong, but I think it's more likely because this puzzle piece will fit into the rest of the puzzle a little bit better. You'll see. Just stay with me. And think about crash test dummies, right? It's very us. If we're testing potential vehicles and want to know if a person can 
survive the trip or the crash, we wouldn't want to put a pilot's life at risk to test this hypothesis, right? A hypothesis for what, you ask? Let's put a pin in this and go back to the other Roswell pin. So the Roswell crash happened in 1947. In December 23rd, 1947, Bell Laboratories took credit for inventing the transistor, which was the end of the same year of the Roswell crash. And transistors are the building blocks of all microchips. And Jack Morton, the head of transistor manufacturing at Bell Telephone Laboratories, described an early concept of a microchip in 1949, and in, in an internal report he noted, imagine a technique in which the connecting leads and passive elements are printed in one continuous fabrication process. We do not know the technology of doing these things, and here then is the challenge. So Jack Morton had engineering knowledge of silica microchips in 1949, but not the technology to produce them, so I think that means means necessarily that Bell Laboratories was in on the Roswell technology. Jack knew about something that works, but he had no idea how it could be made. See, he sees the future technology and it might as well be magic. He knows he's seeing something, but he knows he doesn't know how it works. But he sees it working just like a magic trick. And now back to Samuel Alderson was credited with inventing, and I hope this audio venue doesn't disguise my finger quotes. Sam Alderson was credited with inventing crash test dummies in 1949. Here's the thing though, Samuel Alderson's career trajectory wasn't really the crash test dummy business. This guy helped create the nuclear bomb, and he's like, oh, okay, well, let's work on safety now. So he was a doctoral candidate as a theoretical physicist who studied at Berkeley under J. Robert Oppenheimer and Ernest O. Lawrence, the two theoretical physicists accredited with creating the nuclear bomb, and he helped create the nuclear bomb too. In 1947, Oppenheimer quit working on nuclear bombs for the most part to pursue things like quantum electrodynamics of elementary particles, and including leading a team of physicists to explore quantum particle renormalization, which, of course, if you've been following this series of podcast episodes on the sonic gravity quantum echo hypothesis, Higgs particle symmetry renormalization is what happens in the sonic gravity quantum echo hypothesis when we shut off the Higgs displacement field and our quantum echo disappears from the past and renormalizes with us in the future and that's what gives us our mass back and that's when we go into the kitchen and get a snack. In 1947 Oppenheimer's buddy Lawrence started work and started building a linear particle accelerator which is the technology we use to discover the properties of elementary particles and quantum fields and the knowledge of everything we need in all the physics to make our tic tacs go. So if you believe in the sonic gravity quantum hypothesis, which we think explains these tic tacs we see, then you see how after Roswell happened, everyone on the nuclear bomb project stopped working on nuclear bombs and went to work on the science we'd need to create a spaceship like the ones they saw that crashed at Roswell. But the thing is, how did everyone know that quantum physics was the thing we'd need to fly tic tacs? And how is it that Lawrence knew right away after 1947 that he needed to make a particle accelerator to achieve level three quantum physics? He knew right away. Did he just wake up and go, you know what? I need to build a particle accelerator. How did Oppenheimer know? Gee, maybe I need to focus on particle symmetry renormalization. How do you even think of that? How do you go straight from 1947 to that? But to be honest, it's actually the second way that I logically confirmed it when I created the sonic gravity quantum echo hypothesis. The first method I used to generate the hypothesis in the first place was just from observation, from inductive observation. What do we know? 
They fly like they have no mass. Okay, let's just assume they don't have mass. How do we lose our mass? A spontaneous asymmetric break with our Higgs field would do it. Okay, great, that's gotta happen then too. Okay, what happens when Higgs singlets are released in the particle collisions at CERN? Yep, sometimes they fly into the past. Okay, so the Tic Tacs we see, at least some of them, are us in the future throwing Higgs singlets into their past, which is our present from the future. And that is a fact. Now, a hypothesis derived from observation is pretty much the standard technique in the scientific method. But one thing that really helps make a strong case for a hypothesis is if you can independently derive a different way to kind of get to the same information. Because if from one direction you go in a certain way and from a different direction, wherever they intersect, you're probably triangulating the truth. So the second way, logically, if Roswell was a ship, either alien ship or a ship we sent back from the future, what would all the government scientists who were on the payroll in the inner circle of the government in 1947, who would have gotten access to the crash site of Roswell, what would they have logically done right after that? Just like Jack from Bell Laboratories, they knew they were seeing science and engineering that they didn't understand. It was like magic. So they got right to work figuring it out. Common sense, right? Jack even said, and this is Jack Morton, it's not me. He's said we do not know the technology of doing these things, here then is the challenge. And if you're a scientist and all this futuristic alien technology just drops in your lap, what are you going to do with it? You're going to figure it out. So it's super easy, right? All you have to do is look at what Oppenheimer and Lawrence, those top secret scientists responsible for the Manhattan Project, and in 1947, the year of Roswell, they both leave the nuclear weapon business and start looking into particle and quantum field studies to figure out how to build space. Ships. I mean, it's easy, right? It's stupid. Oppenheimer starts working on particle renormalization, quantum electrodynamics, and elementary particles, like Higgs boson particles. Lawrence starts building a particle collider to smash atoms too, right? If you look at what they all did, it points to the physics we'd need to fly a tic-tac that we just went through when we figured out the sonic gravity quantum echo hypothesis. Or to fly a saucer like the one they dug out of Roswell. It's pure logic and it's right in front of us. Look at the career paths and the goals of the scientists who worked on the atomic bomb and you'll see a roadmap to spaceship technology, except for Sam Alderson, who decided to go invent crash test dummies instead. Except maybe not. If we follow the same logic for Oppenheimer and Lawrence, if those are inductive observations where we establish a rule, a deductive hypothesis, we establish a rule that says those Manhattan Project scientists all pursued something that had to do with what they saw at Roswell. Then we realize right away that Sam Alderson is following that deductive hypothesis. If he saw crash test dummies in the crash and thought, hmm, I'm going to get rich by inventing, finger quotes again, by inventing these crash test dummies, then I'm going to invent some crash test dummies. Just like the ones I see that we just pulled out of the 1947 wreckage of the flying saucer in Roswell. And so the second way that I got some confirmation of the sonic gravity quantum echo hypothesis is because if you track the careers of everyone who worked on the Manhattan Project and could have been exposed to the Roswell crash, their careers all cover the exact areas of physics that we need to develop and fly a tic-tac according to the sonic gravity quantum echo hypothesis and that is a fact. And I think it's possible that Alderson saw the crash test dummies from the future that were inside the Roswell crash. I think it's possible that the crash test dummies were there in the first place because we were testing whether or not we could send a tic-tac back through time and we wanted to see if humans could survive the trip just like we talked about in Critical Thinking Part 11, UFOs, UAPs, and the American Chrononauts. And I think it's possible that Roswell may have been us sending a flying saucer back 
back through time to give ourselves this technology, and we sent crash test dummies inside the ship just to see if a human pilot could survive the trip back through time. And I think it's possible that Alderson was there and saw the crash test dummies from the future in 1947 at Roswell, and then left the government and invented finger quotes again, crash test dummies in 1949. And that's how Sam Alderson went from working on nuclear bombs to inventing crash test dummies. But then I realized that I made an oversight. I detected the possibility in this new information, this critical thinking. I realized that one of my assumptions might not be completely correct. I had assumed because the state of the art of physics doesn't seem to be capable of understanding or engineering tic-tacs with the flight characteristics that we see, I'd assumed that this was not something that humans could do with the current physics and technology that they have. But this new information creates the possibility that somebody has it, that somebody actually has the technology right now. And you can kind of feel it, right? How would all the scientists who left the Manhattan Project be filled with such focused inspiration, shall we say, about the things they saw, such that after 1947, they all started working on exactly the same theoretical physicists that we need to fly a Tic Tac using the sonic gravity quantum field hypothesis. And the thing that I just realized is just because you see a craft like that doesn't mean it's going to focus you on all of the minutiae and the physics that you absolutely need. But these guys were targeted right on that physics. And then it occurred to me, I realized that if you can send a crash test dummy back through time, that you can send a manual or a blueprint or an example or a model of a Tic Tac into the past too. So the million dollar question is, where is the technology? Who is holding on to it? And I've actually already told you everything you need to know, to know exactly who is holding the technology that was discovered in Roswell. It's not in a military base, and it's not in Area 51. We talked about it briefly. There's a clue in Critical Thinking Part 4, UFOs, UAPs, and Quantum Field Theory. And there's another clue within the first five minutes of this podcast episode. But we have all the information and everything we need to know to know exactly where the alien future technology is housed, and that is a fact. But if you missed it, I'll tell you exactly who is in possession of that alien advanced technology from the future in Critical Thinking Part 13, UFOs, UAPs, and Roswell Days of Futures Past. Because we've known since 1994 that that technology has been there since 1947, and that too is a fact. (music) 